This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. A season to worship. We're in Luke chapter 1. We're going to spend a little bit of time there uh, this morning. So open your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 1. Seems kind of weird to be teaching this class from up here. Uh, <clears throat> as far as Sunday school is concerned, I prefer to be down there. I can look at you a little closer in the eye and uh, so forth, but uh, this will work. We'll make this work, all right? A season to worship. We're in a series of lessons now, a season to celebrate, and so we have looked at several things uh, so far, and uh, we're looking today at Luke chapter 1, another part of the Christmas story as we normally refer to it. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, we thank you for the privilege today to serve you. Thank you, God, for the privilege to look into your word today. May the Holy Spirit uh, guide our thoughts. I pray, God, that you will uh, focus my attention this morning on Christ. And I pray, Lord, that our time together be very profitable. Uh, I pray, Lord, that, that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher today. That you will teach us all things and lead us into truth, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. All right, Christmas is the biggest commercial holiday in the United States. Uh, there's more money spent during the Christmas season than in any other period of time uh, during the year here in the United States of America. In fact, uh, <clears throat> we're responsible for hundreds of billions of dollars that spent on decorations and food and just the perfect gift. How many of you have been looking and looking and looking for the perfect gift for your loved one? Haven't quite found it yet. Well, that kind of, that's, my, that's, the, that's the story of my life. I never know what to get, Jay. In fact, we've come to the place that on some of these normal gift days, you know, we don't give gifts anymore. Now, what do you give to somebody that has everything they ever need? You know? And so uh, <clears throat> we just give a card and, and, uh, and we're satisfied with that. But I've got the... I've, I'm, uh, she knows what I'm getting her this year. It's just a matter of us getting it. <laughs> and it's the perfect gift. It keeps my dishes clean. <laughs> you know, a lot of people begin shopping even before Thanksgiving. I can remember as a, young, as a young boy that hardly even before the 1st of December would you see Christmas trees and decora decorations in the store, and then all of a sudden they began to appear a little bit after Thanksgiving. We'd get through Thanksgiving, and then they start putting the Christmas stuff out. And nowadays, even before um, Halloween, all the Christmas stuff is out in the stores. And uh, we've uh, so commercialized. And... Um, but you know, the weeks that are leading up to Christmas Day, they're supposed to be filled with peace and happiness. But I think so often we, we experience the holidays with weary and stress. And uh, it's getting more and more like that. It's, it seems as, as the years pass, more and more stress and, and uh, worry. But amid the excitement and the bustle of the season, we can, we can become so frazzled 
that we lose sight of the purpose of it all. And that's, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, <clears throat> the other night after our Christmas party, Jan and I drove through our subdivision, a part of our subdivision, to look at some of the lights. And it's amazing how many of the Christmas decorations that people have out on their houses and their lawns have nothing at all to do with Christmas. They're candy canes and Santa Claus and reindeer and all that kind of stuff. And um, here and there, sparsely placed around the community, there is a manger scene for which we rejoice because that's what Christmas is all about. But most of the decorations we see in the stores and most of them we see in our neighborhoods have nothing to do with Christmas whatsoever. And that's really a shame because it takes the focus off of what Christmas is, is really all about. I appreciated that video Pastor showed this morning from our, our future governor. And uh, I rejoice. I, I, I thought uh, from some of the things that he had said during the campaign and uh, some of his actions, it, 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 it sort of occurred to me that he may know Christ. He may be born again, though I had not really heard it put in those terms. Uh, but at least I knew he was a conservative and, and he had good principles. But, but I, I think that um, Mr. Yunkin uh, is born again. I think he knows the Lord Jesus, and I was glad to hear what he said in that video today. It gives us some hope, doesn't it? Uh, praise God for that. Um, <clears throat> the author, E.B. White, said this, to perceive Christmas through its wrappings become more difficult every year. And uh, so, that's so, so true. If we want to avoid the stress and the hustle and the frazzle that comes with all of this thing, the thing for us to do is to focus on what the Christmas season is all about. Isaiah put it very well in the ninth chapter in verse 6. It says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And so the truth is that God brought him, sent him, his son, his only begotten son, to be the Prince of Peace and to bring us peace at this time. Not just this time of the year, but but peace, and, and it's, uh, there are three things that we find in the Bible, all of them uh, come from uh, the Apostle Paul's writings, but there are three things, uh, three things that we find in the scripture about the Prince of Peace, uh, three promises that we have from him. First of all, and uh, this will be on the screen, Mary Lynn, peace from God. We have peace from God. Found in Romans chapter 1, verse 7, it says, To all that be born in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no peace that we can have in troubled times better than the peace, peace that comes from the God of all peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows how to bring peace uh, in troubled times. Remember, uh, the disciples were out in the boat out in the Sea of Galilee and the storm came. The, the boat was rocked and the waves were, were uh, peppering the, the boat. Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat and they woke him up and said, I said, Father, do you care about us? 
And he stood up and said, peace, be still. And guess what? Nobody can give peace like the one who said, peace, be still. And when we come to the place uh, in our lives during these times that can be very stressful, uh, so much to do. Uh, I just talked with someone before the service and I said, uh, we talked about tomorrow, got something to do tomorrow. My tomorrow is already filled up. Uh, I have more scheduled for tomorrow than I get accomplished, I think. And uh, so all that can be very, very stressful. But we can have peace from God. And then there's peace with God. And Paul mentions this again in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 1. He says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, before we were justified, before we were born again, we were at odds with God. Uh, He was our enemy, so to speak. We were not friends with him. And, uh, and, And it was a constant battle, our will against his will. And our desires against his desires. Uh, our sinful ways, uh, not, the, not the ways, not his ways. But once we came to Christ, we're justified by faith. Then we, get, then we have peace with God. And it's wonderful as we sit here in this class today, born again. I, I believe everyone in this class today has received Christ as Savior. I, I think I'm, I think I'm uh, speaking to a, a born again crowd. And all of us have that same peace with God. Otherwise, uh, we wouldn't be here. And then thirdly, there's the peace of God. And Paul mentions this in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 7. It says, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We can't understand how such peace can come to, to troubled hearts. And uh, so he came to be the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Peace. And Christ's coming was foretold by our sovereign Lord in, in, in Luke chapter 1. And here Mary received a very special visit from the angel Gabriel. And by the way, this Gabriel is the same angel that came, that appeared to David um, five centuries before um, to prophesy the coming of Messiah. In Daniel chapter 9, I'd, I'd like to ask you to turn to Daniel chapter 9. Here's what, I'm going to do something uh, that might blow your mind a little bit. But in Daniel chapter 5, we have a wonderful prophecy here about Messiah. And uh, it, it begins in, in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24. And I'm going to read verses 24 through 27. And I'm going to read, I'm going to interject some commentary as I read this. So, and you won't be able to write it down, so don't, uh, don't try to. You'll, uh, you'll lose your mind and you'll need the, you'll need the peace of God. Uh, you'll lose your mind if you try to write it down. But I want to read it as I'm going to read it for one reason. And that is to show you that God is so organized that what, what was prophesied by the angel Gabriel to Daniel and then later spoken of by the same angel Gabriel to Mary, uh, that, God, that it all was there for a purpose and a reason and God has a plan that he has mapped out. 
And so let me just read this and follow, follow along in your scriptures, if you will, and then I'm going to interject some words within the scriptures. This is not adding to the word, it's just explaining it, okay? It begins in verse 24 by saying, 70 weeks. Now keep in mind that these weeks that were prophesied were weeks of years. In other words, each week consisted of seven years. He's going to talk about 70 of these weeks altogether in this prophecy. And so 70 weeks, uh, weeks of years, are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression and to make up the end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness. That's a reference to the millennium. Hadn't happened yet, as you know. And to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the Holy One. That's talking about the king of the millennium. It's talking about the Messiah here. That when Messiah will be crowned as king of his kingdom in the millennium. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that the going forth of the commandment, uh, that forth of the, of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. This happened in 445 B.C. Remember the books of Ezra and Nehemiah? Ezra and Nehemiah were sent out uh, to, to restore the torn, the, the restore the temple and the city of Jerusalem that had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar a few years later. Daniel, by the way, <clears throat> prophesied during the Babylonian captivity, the 70 years of the Babylonian captivity after Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed the temple, destroyed Jerusalem, he took captives back to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar did. Daniel was one of those captives along with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, first chapter of Daniel. Uh, he was one of those captives, but also Ezra and Nehemiah were among those captives. And so near the end of that captivity, Ezra and Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the temple walls along with the remnant that went back with them. So uh, to, to build Jerusalem and um, unto the Messiah, unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks. All right, that's from 445 to 396 um, B.C., which is 49 years. That's seven, seven weeks uh, of seven years each, 49 years. Um, so it took 49 years to build the temple and the walls of Jerusalem. And threescore and two weeks, that's an additional 62 weeks, um, or... 434 years until Christ's public ministry. So in this prophecy now, the first week of these 70 uh, weeks is the rebuilding of Jerusalem at that period of time. Then from that time, there's another 62 weeks until Christ comes and begins his public ministry. The streets shall be built again and the walls even in troublous times, in verse 26 says. And then after seven weeks, 49 years, and uh, three score and two weeks, an additional 62 weeks uh, of, uh, six, of seven years each, uh, that's 434 years for a total of 69 weeks, or 483 years. 
Your mind, is your mind uh, quivering yet? <laughs> I told you not to write it, okay? Until that time shall Messiah be cut off. That's talking about the crucifixion. Going to take that long. The crucifixion will happen. That happened in 32 A.D. He said, I thought Jesus was 33 years old. Well, there's a little discrepancy in the, in the Roman calendar that causes that, and I won't discuss that. But not for himself. And the people of the prince, the people of the Antichrist, that, word, that little phrase there, the people of the prince, you'll notice the P on prince is, is lowercase. Uh, it's not a reference to Christ. Uh, to Messiah the Prince, that it is back in, in verse 25. But here, it, that's a reference to the Antichrist. Now, the people of the Prince, or the people of the Antichrist, uh, that shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That happened again in 70 A.D. Uh, when Titus, the Roman Soldier, the Roman general destroyed the temple. He brought, he brought uh, the, 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 uh, Roman, uh, the Romans came in and, and destroyed the temple in 70 AD under the leadership of Titus. So that's, that's a reference to that. And the end thereof shall be with the flood, and under the end of the war desolations are determined. Now right there, and you can jot this in your Bible if you want to, but right there, there's a, there's a period of time that's not mentioned. It's the period of the New Testament church. Do you realize that the New Testament church was a mystery in the Old Testament? It's not mentioned. You can't find a reference to the New Testament church anywhere in the Old Testament. And uh, you can check Ephesians chapter 3 verses 1 through 6 and Colossians chapter 1 verses 26 and 27 and that will tell you that. So then, at the end of that period of time that's not mentioned here in this prophecy, the tribulation begins. The rapture of the church, the church is gone, and the tribulation begins. And so it says then in verse 27, and he, speaking of the Antichrist, he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. This is the 70th week. Remember, we had the first of the 70 weeks, and then there were 62, and then, and then seven more, which is the period of tribulation, and, and, uh, and, the, and this, no, uh, the 70th week is the period of tribulation. And so he, he shall confirm the covenant for one week. Now, what we learn in the book of Revelation is that, that the Antichrist, when he comes, is going to make a covenant with Israel, and everything's going to be relatively calm during the first three and a half years of the tribulation. But then let's read on. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he, sh uh, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation. And, the, the, and that determined shall be, uh, shall be poured upon the desolate. And so that part, after he breaks that covenant that he makes with the Jews, that's when, that's when the great tribulation breaks out. That's when everything that we read about in the book of Revelation, beginning with, with uh, chapter 5 uh, up until chapter 20, uh, that's when all that happens, during the great tribulation of that time. Now, I read all of that, <clears throat> not to blow your minds, but I just read that for you to show you how God has his plan organized.
And it's all spelled out in the scriptures for us. And what, I, what I'm really driving at is this, that Christ came at exactly the time when God had planned for him to come and when the world needed him the most. In fact, in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, it says this, when the fullness of time was come, when God had put everything in place, when, when, when God's timing was full, when it was perfect, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Now, we, we talked about this verse last Sunday, made of a woman, not the man. And, and Pastor touched on this in his message this morning. Uh, born of a virgin. And that's what brings us down here to our lesson in chapter 1 of the book of, of Luke today. The message that Gabriel gave to uh, Mary coincides with a message that he delivered some five decades, some five generations before uh, to Daniel. And so it's wonderful how God puts everything together in it. And we can have confidence in it because we know it's of God. And uh, so uh, when, the when, when the announcement of Jesus' coming was intended to bring peace in troubled hearts, both of those days, uh, both, uh, both in those days and today, that was the purpose of us, to bring peace to troubled hearts. When we understand the miraculous message of Christmas, that Jesus came to earth to be the Savior, the Prince of Peace, we can truly worship him for who he is. And thank God we can worship him. Now last Sunday we considered the announcement of Christ's first advent as he came to Joseph and then how Joseph responded to it. So this week we're going to see the announcement as it came to Mary and how Messiah's presence brings peace to our troubled hearts. So that brings us to Roman numeral number one. The message of peace. The message of peace. This is verses 26 through 28. So you have your Bibles open now to Luke chapter 1. Let's look at verse uh, 26 and read through verse 28. And in the six months, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his sayings, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And so this was the message of peace, but she was troubled at the message. And I think rightly so in her case. Uh, he sent, uh, he sent, uh, Gabriel was sent to a at a specific time in the sixth month, it says, to a specific place, a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a specific person, a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph. And just at the mention of Gabriel's name was, was not a random thing. Neither are the details of this announcement a random thing. It's all planned by God. It's his plan. And so letter A is it's given to a, 
given to a humble place. So Nazareth, it was not a prominent city in Galilee at the time. Uh, you would think that God would have picked the name, uh, picked a more uh, impressive uh, city, a more impressive place for the birth of, the, of this holy one, this begotten one, his only son. Nazareth was just a small, poor Jewish village that had no trade routes. It, was, uh, it was, uh, had little economic significance at all in the region. It was nothing like Jerusalem. You would think that maybe the Lord would have picked a city like Jerusalem for the Messiah to be born in. Uh, it was central to the nation, and it would have been a fit place for a king to be born. But God had other ideas. You see, <clears throat> the importance of a city is not what usually impresses God. And may I just say this, it doesn't impress God either, and neither does mine. Sometimes we think we're pretty important, don't we? But that's not what impresses God. You know what impresses God? The thing that impresses God is somebody who's humble, and that's, uh, uh, that's the point here, a humble place. Somebody that's humble, somebody who's, who's submissive to him, willing to do his will, and so on. In fact, Paul wrote about that in 1 Corinthians, and it says, uh, he says, not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty men are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And it, uh, it doesn't surprise me. It used to surprise me somewhat until I, until I got to know better. But it doesn't surprise me anymore that God picks out the insignificant people to use. People who are not important at all. You know, some of these big shots, some of these big preachers that we think that you know, they're, 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 they're mighty people. I want to tell you that standing next to them in heaven is going to be somebody you've never heard of. Uh, somebody that's never made a splash in the world. But they've been faithful where God put them. And they've done what God called them to do. And they love the Lord and they serve the Lord in, in a humble fashion. They're going to be right alongside those big name preachers in heaven. You know, we quote Charles Spurgeon a lot. He was a great man. I'm not trying to take away from him at all or anybody else of his stature. But he was, you know, we, we, we quote him all the time. He said so many wise, wise things. But you know what? They're just some, they're just some, uh, some, uh, some people that we've never heard of that they're going to get as big a reward. Dr. Bob Senior used to say that it's not the big chandelier in the parlor that saves your neck in the middle of the night when you have to get up to go to the bathroom is that little light in the back hall. There's a lot of truth to that, isn't there? Yeah. So in Nazareth, God found a woman completely yielded to his purpose for, uh, for her life. And so this was the place that he chose to use. One Sunday, Sunday school teacher was asked, asked her class, she said, who do you think's the most important woman in the Bible? Little Eric raised his hand and he said, Eve. And his Sunday school teacher says, well, why do you think Eve was the most important? And little Eric said, because he named two holidays after her, Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve. <laughs> well, it was also given to a holy woman, let her be given to a holy woman. 
We took note last week that Mary was morally, a morally pure woman. And today, uh, the truth comes to the surface again, uh, particularly with the question that she asked Gabriel that she was, that she was holy. And look at verse 34, Luke 1, 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, How can this be, seeing I, I know not a man? Pastor mentioned this also in his message this morning. He, she says, I haven't known a man. How can I, how can I be with child? And uh, so she was moral. But there are other verses of Scripture in the Bible that emphasizes the morality. In, in Matthew chapter 1, 8, uh, verse 18, it says, as she said, the Bible says that this, uh, this came to her before they came together. She was found with child. And then Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. She was a holy woman. She loved God. What an example that would be today to our young people. To be holy, to be pure, to be clean. You know, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul wrote, But refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself rather under godliness. That's what impresses God. Roman numeral number two. The reason for worship. Verses 31 and through 33. 31 says, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, then bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And so... Uh, that's the reason to worship, because God made him a king. And uh, he's not just Messiah, but he is the chosen one, the anointed one. That's what Messiah means, the anointed one. Uh, came to be a king. And uh, consider what Mary was hearing from Gabriel. Uh, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. This was the greatest news that the world's ever heard. It certainly was the greatest news that Mary had ever heard. And uh, if, if we put ourselves into her place, I think we can understand why her response was not peaceful and joyful before the Lord. Mary likely felt a good measure of fear. She asked that question, how shall this be? How can this be? How can this be? You see, often when God is working in our lives, we don't understand what's happening. And therefore, His ways sometimes can seem to be troubling, can't they? Uh, things will come into our life and we say, why me, God? You say, well, you shouldn't question God. Well, I don't think sometimes when we say that, we, we're really questioning uh, the wisdom of God. We're just... Asking God, why, why, why are you doing this? Why is it? Why is it? You see, even Jesus questioned God. Why hast thou forsaken me, he said on the cross. You see. And uh, so we don't always understand uh, what God is doing in our life and, and why he's doing it. And so I'm sure that Mary approached this with great fear in her, in her, in her heart. Uh, Mary, Mary heard some things about Jesus 
though, as, the, as Gabriel continues speaking with her, that, that calmed these fears and gave her a reason to worship. And here's some reasons why she worshiped. Letter A. Because of Christ's presence. The angel told, told Mary that the baby's name would be Jesus. That means he will save or he saves. That's what the word Jesus, the name Jesus means. And so we need to consider a few things about the name of Jesus because we learn of his character by his name. First of all, letter uh, number one, his name is easy. There are many, many names in the Bible that are hard to pronounce, even harder uh, to remember. You ever known of anybody by the name of Tiglath-Pileser? You can't even say it, can you? How about Mehar Shalahashbaz? Well, I'm going to go over to Mehar Shalahashbaz tonight. Have supper. Well, the name Jesus is simple and it's memorable. Even those who hate him know his name. You know, take like Pelizer, nobody ever talks about him, especially Mehar Shalhashbaz. So it's easy. Secondly, number two, his name is esteemed. Both Jesus' names and his work are known throughout the world. Paul wrote that uh, one day everybody would bow, their name, bow, bow to his name and confess him as Lord. That's found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. I'll not take the time to read those verses. But number three, his name is enduring. Enduring. From the first verse of Genesis chapter 1 to the last verse of Genesis chapter 22. The scripture declares the name of Jesus uh, which exists in eternity past and will continue to exist forever into eternity future. He is eternal. Revelation 22:13 says, Jesus says, I am Alpha and Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I am the first and the last. He is eternal. And so that means he's enduring. And in number four, his name is exclusive. The name of Jesus is, is wonderful and it's more special than any other name because it's, that's the only name through which we can approach God. That's the only name through which we can approach God. Don't try to approach God through Walt Coles. You'll never find God going through Walt Coles or anybody else for that matter except Jesus. In Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, neither is there salvation in any other. For there's no other name, none, under, none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We have to go through Jesus. Narrow-minded. Yeah, we're not, we are narrow-minded. We get accused of that, but the truth is that's, uh, that's where we are in God. We are narrow-minded. The only way we can get to God is through His Son, Jesus Christ. There's a reason for that. Well, she also worshiped, let her be, she also worshiped because of Christ's perfection. Uh, Mary's fears were calmed as she learned more about, about the gift that God sent to her. In verses 22 and 23, uh, she said, uh, 
he shall be great. The, the angel said, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. The Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. And his kingdom, and of his kingdom there is no end. Christ was perfect. He was perfect. I'm going to skip over some of my notes here for the sake of time. But, but she was able to worship him because he was, he was the perfect one. And why do we say he was perfect? Well, number one, because he's, he's the eternal God. He's the eternal God. In John chapter 1, verse 14, we read these words. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word there, it's in capital, it's, in, it's, in, it's capitalized. It's a reference to Jesus Christ, the eternal preexistent Son of God. Because back in the first verse of John chapter 1, it says this, In the beginning was the, say it, the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's a reference to Jesus Christ. So He's the eternal God, number two. He is fully God. Fully God. And uh, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 says, In Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everything of God is in Jesus Christ. He is fully God. Yes, He became a man. And he set aside some of his heavenly prerogatives when he came down here to become like you and me. He didn't set aside his deity. He didn't set aside any of his authority. He didn't set aside any of his nature. He just set aside some of his priorities, some of his prerogatives. So he could show up to become like us. So we we could approach the Father through Him, you see. Fully God, number three. He is called God. Uh, we see this so many times in the Bible. He is called God. Hebrews chapter 1, for example, beginning of verse 6 says, And again, when He bringeth in the first uh, begotten into the world, He saith, Let all the angels of God worship Him. And of the angels, He saith, who maketh his angels spirits, and his spirits flaming fire, but unto the Son thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. See, God called his Son God, and, um, and so forth. And uh, so he is called God. Uh, we, 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 don't have to, we, we don't question that. He is God. brings us to Roman numeral number three. The consent of Mary. Uh, we find this in verse 38, John, Luke chapter 1. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. What's she saying? She said, Okay, Lord, I, I accept this. I accept this. She accepted the message that God sent to her through the angel Gabriel. And uh, she was perplexed by it. She had fear. She was fearful for it until, until her fears were, were allayed by what the angel began to tell her, that he's the king. He's coming to build his kingdom. He's going to sit on the throne of David. And, uh, and, uh, and he's the eternal God. He's the God of peace, the God of mercy. And you're going to bring him into the world. 
through your body. And she said, okay, God, do with me with what you will. Now, that's what we need today in Christians' lives, isn't it? Say, okay, God, your will be done. Not mine, but thine. Your will be done. And so, and so she was amazed. And Mary said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. So letter A, she consented, she consented to God's will. Jesus Christ was the perfect example of that, wasn't he? Remember when he was facing the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Lord, if it could be your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, nevertheless, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. Now, do you think, do you think Jesus was questioning the will of his Father there? No, but he was in human flesh still. And he's just like you and me. And so many times we come before God with questions and say, Lord, if you could change it. But then, as long as we say, well, Lord, not my will, your will be done. God's satisfied. I don't think God chastens us or chides us at all if on occasions we say, Lord, why? 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 I've already mentioned it. On the cross, Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? But he knew all the time why, God, why the Father was forsaking him, and yet in the flesh, he said, why hast thou forsaken me? Did the Father chasten the Son because of that? No. I think he loved him the more because he cared to ask. And sometimes... I think God is blessed when we care to ask. William Barclay made this statement one time. He said the most popular prayer is, thy will be changed. But the greatest prayer on earth is, thy will be done. And let her be. She consented to God's word. Consented to God's word. Mary's choice came down to this. She would either trust fully in God, trust his word, or she would trust in herself. And she elected to trust the word of God. The word that was sent to her through the angel Gabriel. Andrew Murray made a good statement. I think this is in your notes. God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. Think about that for a while. Uh, th this is not scripture, this, is, this comes from a man of God. But I think he speaks truth here. God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. And, that's, and there's so much truth in that. Well, as we make our plans, our list for Christmas, and we check it over twice, we have to make sure that we're setting ourselves up for the season to worship the Lord and to keep our hearts and minds stayed upon him. For he hath made himself, he hath made him, God hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of, of God in him. That's the Christmas story, folks. 
And I hope that that's uh, what will permeate your season. Uh, get frustrated if you want to. I do, occasionally. Uh, can't find the right gift. It's getting kind of late. You should have started. You started, should have started to shop before Thanksgiving. You didn't, you didn't think I was going to say that, did you? <laughs> but in the midst of it all, it's all about the Prince of Peace. We worship him and thank God for him. Father, thank you so much for sending the greatest gift that we could have ever received in our lives, the gift of eternal life through thy holy Son, eternal Son, Jesus Christ. Send us from this place today, Lord, with these thoughts we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.